Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I am really excited to bring you this episode. I'm going to be discussing the mother wound with Bethany Webster. I'll tell you more about this awesome woman in a moment. I also want to bring your attention to the episode Steph and I did last weekend because it's really a great setup for this. He's talking about an inner child trigger that's actually with his mother. Even though we speak, Bethany and I speak most about the mother-daughter relationship, the mother wound can definitely impact men as well. So definitely go back and give that a listen. This interview is also perfect timing for the inner child workshop that we have coming up October 8th through 10th. If you're listening to this later, don't worry. You can go back and get the recording. If you're listening to this now and you want to do it, but you can't make the timing, don't worry. It's recorded. If you think, oh, I really want to do that inner child workshop, but I can't afford it, go to christinehaster.com slash scholarship and you can fill that out. We, we never want money to be the reason you can't do something that's for your healing. The link for the inner child workshop is christinehaster.com slash inner child. So many of the things Bethany and I talk about today, we teach you how to heal an inner child. And Bethany has some really amazing resources for you that I'm going to link in the show notes, as well as a free course coming up in November. So let me tell you a little bit more about Bethany. Bethany Webster is a writer, international speaker, and transformational coach. She started blogging in 2013 about the mother wound and quickly experienced worldwide demand for her work. Through blending research on intergenerational trauma, feminist theory, and psychology with her own personal story, Bethany's work is a result of decades of research and her own journey of healing. She speaks, consults, and mentors around the world, sharing her growing body of work that is raising the standard of women's leadership and personal development. You can learn more at bethanywebster.com. And before we dive in, I just like to take a moment to talk about my favorite season, which is autumn, the season that those of us in this part of the world are going into right now. I love the fall. I love that the weather starts to cool off and oranges start to appear in the tree, not orange is the fruit, orange is the color. And it's just this beautiful transition time. We're leading up to the holidays and it's transition into winter where you can really like take stock of the seeds you planted in the spring. What, what are you harvesting? What needs to fall away? And it's an awesome time to drink yummy, delicious beverages that also are great for your health. And my favorite thing to drink this time of year is Organifi Gold. So you've heard me talk about Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with super high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. They have their green juice, which is essential superfoods with all kinds of yummy stuff, their red juice that recharges your mind and body with, again, delicious superfoods, and one of my personal favorites, the Organifi Gold, which is it's a superfood tea that contains powerful superfoods and mushrooms to help you relax. You can wake up feeling refreshed and energized. It supports rest and relaxation, a healthy immune response, and a healthy response to stress. So it's turmeric and ginger and reishi mushroom. And oh, it's so yummy. I mix it with unsweetened coconut milk or almond milk and then heat it up. And it's like dessert, but it's guilt-free dessert because it's so good for you. So you can get Organifi Gold and all Organifi products for 20% off, not just your first order, but any order, 20% off when you go to Organifi.com slash over it. Again, Organifi.com slash over it, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it for 20% off. Go get your yummy Organifi Gold. Make yourself a cozy beverage. Sit by the fire. Maybe it's not hot enough for a fire yet, but sit somewhere cozy. Maybe check out the post I did on the journaling questions for fall and get your awesome superfoods in. All right, everybody. And now on to my amazing conversation with Bethany Webster. Bethany, I don't even know how I'm going to squeeze in everything I want to ask you in an hour or so, because there's so much I want to talk to you about. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Christine. It's really a pleasure. And thank you for doing your work that led you to be able to do this kind of work in the world and specifically write your incredible book, Discovering the Inner Mother, A Guide to Healing the Mother Wound and Claiming Your Personal Power. 
this is such an important topic and such an important book on so many levels. And we will definitely get to all that. I want to start with, because I think people, when they hear the mother wound, they may make assumptions of what that is, or they may mm-hmm. think my mom loved me. She didn't beat me. She didn't abandon me. I don't have a mother wound. Can we start by really defining and painting a picture of what the mother wound is? Yes, absolutely. A great place to start. So I like to talk about the best way to understand what the mother wound is, is to look at the kind of cultural atmosphere that gives rise to it. So there's a lot of talk these days about the word patriarchy, and I define it very broadly. Patriarchy just means it's the atmosphere of women being less than. And so girls, mothers and daughters, and we all grow up in this patriarchal culture. Most of us do around the world. And what this does is it really distorts the mother-daughter relationship so that um, it's, it's like mothers are trying to help their daughters survive in a world that doesn't value women as much as it values men. So it creates a kind of challenge uh, for women as a whole, and it really impacts how mothers and daughters interact and bond with one another. So the mother wound is related to patriarchy. The mother wound is how we internalize, just a matter of growing up, we internalize limiting beliefs about ourselves as a result mm-hmm. of that dynamic with our mothers. So all of us have a mother wound to some degree, just by virtue of the fact that we live in a culture that doesn't value women. So even those of us who have great relationships with our moms, our moms might be supportive, kind. We might feel really connected to our moms, which is great. You know, the, the mother wound is on a spectrum. So some of us are on that end of the spectrum where, you know, the relationship is harmonious. And then for some of us, we're on the other end of the spectrum or somewhere in between where um, the relationship with our moms is filled with tension, stress, or we feel ambivalent, or even there could be um, abuse going on as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of cultural trauma of living in a patriarchy that doesn't value women, but also that personal way that we learn to see ourselves as less than. So for example, moms can pass to their daughters, even in the best of scenarios, feelings like don't rock the boat, don't be too big, don't bring attention to yourself put other people's needs ahead of yours. These are all ways and strategies to get by, to get approval and to be loved, um, as acceptable quote unquote, or desirable women, right. Is to meet Mm -hmm. those kind of stereotypes. So all moms have to do this to some degree to help their daughters get through, um, in the best of situations. The issue though, is that those are precisely the beliefs that we need to let go of in order to really be empowered, liberated, women in the world are precisely those beliefs. So we're living at a really interesting time where we're watching patriarchal institutions and ideals kind of, they're very dysfunctional right now. We're letting them go. We're seeing that they don't work. So we're kind of, it's a powerful time to be a woman because we can see these things so clearly and start to see where the mother wound shows up and then release that and create something new in our inner landscape, which is Uh, Mm -hmm. And I teach a practice called inner mothering, which is um, like inner child work, but really specifically in the context of healing the mother wound. So the mother wound has four levels. Just want to mention this. So that's the personal level of the mother wound is what I just described. It's like each of us have it to some degree, but there's other levels. There's the cultural mother wound, which is more about, you know, how society and culture as a whole doesn't value women or, or sees them as less than how there's competition between women. So it, the cultural mother wound is like the more pervasive, larger scale manifestations of it. And then there's mm-hmm. also the spiritual level of the mother wound, which really has to do with our wound with life itself. You know, it's like feeling like, Oh, is life trustworthy? Can I trust life? Can I, is there really a higher power that loves me and looks after me? And as we heal our personal mother wound, you know, by, you know, what we'll talk about soon, how to do that. We start to heal these other levels as well. We start to feel, wow, I do belong I am part of life. Life is friendly. I am interconnected with all life. So it kind of has an existential healing that happens as well. And then the final level of the mother wound is the planetary mother wound, which has to do with our relationship with the earth itself and how the earth is our mother and part of, you know, you could say part of our body, part of our Mm. being. Um, And so that connection has been severed as, you know, not severed, but deeply um, wounded as a result of kind of the culture and what we're going through right now, our relationship with the earth is 
is important. So those are the kind of four levels. And as you can see, it's a big, this is a long answer, right? To your question, but I just wanted to give you kind of a taste of kind of how these four levels, you know, what they are and, and how they all interact. Yeah. I think it is important to paint that huge picture and, and to look at, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about being a woman at this time on the planet is that there is opportunity for change Mm. and there is opportunity to heal a lot of these wounds, both individually and collectively so that women do feel valued. Cause I think maybe women feel valued in certain ways, but, but not like, there's not a freedom to choose to be in our fullest expression. And a lot of that is very subconscious and we don't even realize we don't even realize it at yeah, times. And sure. you know, what's really exciting to me is a lot of men are really stepping up to mm-hmm. to heal this as well. It isn't just like men are like, yeah, let's keep the patriarchy going. They're starting to see, oh wow, like this isn't good for anybody, including men. You know, yeah. this this isn't healthy for anybody. This isn't bringing out the best masculine either. So we're really in it together. And that does mm-hmm. bring me some hope. But I really want to dive in on the personal mother wound because I think yeah. Before we can look on a big picture, we have to look at what was my mother wound. And it may be more obvious for someone whose mother abandoned them, or maybe mom died when you were young, or maybe mom was an alcoholic or something like that. And it may be go, you may say, okay, well, yeah, clearly. But let's, can you talk about some of the more subtle mother wounds that people might not be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of subtle manifestations. It actually took me a long time to, to figure out you know, what was going on with me because I thought I had, I thought my mother was my best friend. And I, I thought my, my relationship with my family was perfect. I literally did. Um, when I was a young woman in my early twenties, uh, but I, I had all these symptoms that I couldn't explain. Like I started having, um, panic attacks or just feeling depressed. It would range, you know, but there was always this kind of like low place I would go to and I couldn't really explain it. But over time, I got really curious about it and I got support and I started to ask myself, what is this? What, why am I struggling so much? Um, so I was really blind to what was going on for a long time, but there's a lot of manifestations and connecting it, finding the connection between what your symptoms are and, and back to the relationship with your mother is such a powerful, empowering tool because once you can make that link and you are aware of it, then you can do something about it. Um, so some of the ways that the mother wound can show up in terms of just your relationship with your mother, I would ask you, you know, some symptoms could be like feeling really low after seeing your mom, you know, maybe you feel kind of crappy for a little bit after a visit with her, or maybe you dread seeing your mother, maybe not all the time, but maybe sometimes are there any subjects that you don't want to talk to your mom about? you know, do you feel stressed when you think about your mother? You know, do you feel pressured and obligated to talk to your mother? And do you dread those interactions or do you get triggered? Those are things you want to look at. Any sense of stress and tension is, is a signifier. It's like a, like a signal light on your dashboard. It's, you know, that's saying, look here, look here, there's something to look at. And many people that I've talked Mm -hmm. to have been like, yeah, you know, I have stress with my mother. It's, it's like this ambivalent relationship. It's like, I love her, but I also have a lot of like the, some of the things she says or does feel very hurtful. A lot of people feel that, but they feel like they have to accept it. Like, oh, I just, this is just how she is. I just have to accept it. And then they don't question it. She had a hard life. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. she's the only mother you have. She's trying her best. Um, so we can tell ourselves lots of stories that actually disown our own pain, right? That cause us to suppress our, our feelings. Um, and a lot of the pain, you know, what it can hinge upon is what our mother's like relationship is with herself, right? A lot of our moms have gone through lots of challenges and struggles and have suffered in many different ways. And so in our society, women don't really have a lot of permission to process their rage, right? Or feel the truth of their emotions. So I talk about this in the book a bit. I explore it in more detail, but for women, like older mothers, for example, like as an adult daughter, our mothers can often use us as their daughters as like a projection screen for their own pain, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and sometimes we can sense this or detect it in like an edge. Like if your mother's speaking to you or talking to you, but you, and what she's saying is totally fine. Like the words are fine, but there's an edge, there's a subtle aggression or judgment underneath what she's saying. That's another signal 
that something's going on. And or even kind of victim-y, right? Even yep. if there's like a poor me or a little passive aggressiveness. Yeah. Yep. Passive aggressiveness, poor me, a martyr complex, you know, chronic disappointment in other people, making subtle judgments about you and your choices or like about your body or about, you know, like how you're showing up in the world. If there's certain topics that she starts like she won't entertain, she won't listen to you. Um, I find that many women, it kind of boils down to not feeling like you can show up as your full self with your mother. Like there's certain parts Mm -hmm. of yourself that you have to put aside or suppress in order to have some sense of peace in the relationship. That's another signal. Um, if you have to hide or present some kind of false mask to your mother, uh, that's another signal that something is going on in that dynamic that you want to look at. And the reason why the mother, some people might say, well, yeah, that's going on, but what does this have to do with anything? The reason why this mother daughter relationship is so profound is because it has to do with our blueprint of self. So anything that we have going on with our mothers, subtle or intense, however it shows up, it will show up in other relationships. Yep. Why? People will be like, why is that? Well, and because, not just with women. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. It's because mm-hmm. our mothers were our primary significant person when we were born, right? It's like our mothers were food, life, earth. Everything was the mother in those first, especially those first months and early years of our lives. Um, mother was everything. She, there was no sense of separation. So a lot of the, you know, dynamics with our mothers got actually woven into our sense of self and the way our nervous system and like limbic brain, a lot of the ways our physiology actually was formed, was in response to this person that we know as our mother. So when we can take some kind of empowered action in that relationship, it sets up almost a new pathway in our brains where we can start to have more choices, more possibilities, and more sense of self-love. You know, it's like in our relationships with our mothers, each child needs to have a sense of belonging and a sense of autonomy and freedom. Mm-hmm. And for many mothers, as women themselves, you know, our mothers, I'm talking about older generations, they did not have, they had a tension within themselves about how much can I be myself and how much, you know, how much do I have to sacrifice my individuality to belong? And so for women of older generations in particular, it could be even more of an intense sacrifice they may, might have had to make. And because patriarchy does not really encourage a kind of individuation for women, we often experience an enmeshment with our mothers where we actually carry a lot of their baggage without even realizing it. This is less true for men, I think, just because generally men are encouraged to go forth and, and be different and make their mark and, and have their own say and their own stand in life. They're kind of encouraged to uh, launch a bit farther from the mother, but women, not so much. We're kind of encouraged to be in this family of womanship where there's less of the sense of, I get to be me no matter what, you know? Yeah. And the caretaking of the mother, which is huge. Uh, So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the caretaking, the enmeshment. I just want to read something from your book that just is a mic drop moment. And it kind of sums up a lot of what you're saying. And I think this is so important for, for people to hear. So a young daughter is a potent target for mother's rage because the daughter has yet to live up to her personhood from give up her personhood for motherhood. The young daughter may remind her mother of her own unlived potential. And if the daughter feels worthy enough to reject some of the patriarchal mandates her mother has had to swallow, then she can easily trigger the underground rage for the mother. This is so huge. And this is, I think, a huge reason, not I think, I've, I've seen <laughs> in working with women, uh, women and men, but especially women for 20 plus years, the, the, the kind of covert jealousy and rage that mothers feel towards their daughters and, and daughters feel like guilt and obligation for going beyond the mother. This is tricky. Bethany, this is a, a <laughs> tricky one for us to unpack. So how, how do we start to deal with, like, if we know that that was the case with our relationship with our own mother, or if mothers are listening, know that they're seeing their unlived potential in their daughter. And that's creating some of the controlling behavior or the little passive aggressive comments or the, you know, causing you to walk on eggshells or the, like, you never, you always let me down kind of thing. Where do we even start to unpack that? The place to unpack it is if you notice it 
I'm trying to think of which angle to take with this. I know um, there's so many. <laughs> I'm not asking you easy questions. Sorry. No, that's okay. Let's just start with us as adult daughters. So if we see this in our mothers, if we detect any sense of like covert jealousy or condemnation, judgment, um, any kind of aggression or rage from our mothers, you know, we sense that we trigger her right in some degree. And for some of us early in life, we make the decision not to threaten mother you know, we might, we might've said, Oh, I, I don't want to be, um, like I had to do that. I definitely mm. tried to be, I softened my potency, right? I tried to defer to her. I tried to seem less myself because mm. who I, when I was really myself, whether that was, you know, sharing my opinion on something or in a moment of feeling really empowered and, and saying something, you know, she would get triggered and it caused her to withdraw or to attack me. Um, Mm. I, I, I learned really early to try to just, I, but I eroded myself. I, I created this kind of pattern of self erosion. And the problem with that, you know, it's, it's a way of trying to love your mother and try to get her to love you back. <laughs> but the problem mm-hmm. with that, um, that many daughters go through is that it's never enough. A lot of our adult mothers, it will never be enough. You can never defer to her enough. You can't be small enough to satisfy her. And we have to see that. And the reason why we can never be small enough is because it's really not about us. Nothing that we can do as daughters will solve the problem that's at the heart of our mother's jealousy and rage and anguish, whatever misery she's in. We can never solve it. And we, and Mm. giving up the impossible dream of you know, solving that, whether it's through self deprecation or whatever, it's a powerful turning point because a lot of women have that hope, like, Oh, if I just do it this way, or if I just explain it differently, or if I just don't threaten her in this way or that way, it doesn't work. Um, so I just share that if you feel like, you know, you're someone who does feel like you try to coddle your mother or tiptoe around her, walk on eggshells, just notice yourself doing that and know that, you know, ultimately what's at the heart of that can only be solved by your mother's action because the wound actually that you're detecting is in her and she, the, the agency to transform that situation lies within her. And so this is kind of part of what, what we're talking about is a power dynamic and, to solve the power dynamic is to kind of realize what part you play and what your responsibility is and what, what is not. And what I just described is kind of part of parsing that apart a little bit. And when we can give up, you know, what the whole process is really when I talk about healing the mother wound and it's really about giving up attachment to our mothers showing up a certain way in order for us to feel safe. So that was the algorithm when we were children, right? We needed our moms to show up a certain way to feel safe. We needed her mirroring, her loving attention. We needed her to be safe and nurturing and kind. And we we needed all these things to develop properly, right? To survive childhood, we needed that. But the empowering good news is that as adult women, we do not need our mothers to be a certain way for us to be safe and to feel liberated and whole and at peace. But it's a process we have to go through. That's why I kind of think of healing the mother wound is almost like a rite of passage for a woman to go from, you know, girlhood into actually transition into adulthood. It's this bridge that society and culture has not yet articulated or, you know, I hope this book is the beginning of really kind of broaching this big, this big thing, but this is kind of like a rite of passage of, yeah, that's my mother's wound, but I don't have to carry it further. And it doesn't mean that I don't Mm. love her. Right. So we can Mm -hmm. see our mothers in her own pain and her own suffering and not carry that as part of an obligation to be a good daughter. And a lot of mothers are not of older generations, especially have not, you know, they haven't had the tools or the guidance or the fortitude or the support. Maybe they don't even have the willingness to look at their own wounds. Um, yeah. so we, or as the a, awareness that, yeah. they, that they have them. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm yeah. going to stop talking cause I've been going for a while, but you see, I just no, no. <laughs> the complexity of it. <laughs> The whole point of this interview is you talking. So no, this is great. I want to just go back to something about the caretaking because as, as a child, we are, we have to get our needs met. 
as children, we're always trying to figure out how to get our needs met. And that's healthy. As children, we're supposed to be doing that. Like we're supposed to be needy as children. That's kind of like the developmental stage that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so if the mother is, let's say not available in some way, or, you know, emotionally upset or something, we will end up caretaking her so that we can get our needs met. It's almost like a survival strategy we have, but then doesn't that put us in this pattern of like this enmeshed parentified role with our own mother? Like the intention was good. We wanted to get our needs met, but then we grow up kind of in this parentified, I'm not okay unless she's okay. She's not okay if I'm, I'm not okay. Exactly. Exactly. That parentification is, yeah, it's a survival mechanism for many women. Not all girls, some girls have a different coping mechanism with mother's neglect, but for many women have had that in their past. And some mothers, um, like for example, my mother definitely encouraged that, you know, um, she used me as her like therapist. I don't think she, I don't think she was even conscious of it. I thought she was, you know, I think she was just genuinely struggling in her own life. And here's a little girl who's smart and capable. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what daughters do. They need their moms and they need to place their moms on a pedestal in order to feel safe enough to grow. So it's really a form of exploitation that to be parentified, like it was a big turning point in my journey to realize, oh, I was used. I was exploited. Mm -hmm. I wasn't Mm -hmm. beaten up or anything. I wasn't, I never had need of food. I I, I had lots of, on on the surface, I had a very healthy family, but behind closed doors, there was a lot of, um, manipulation and abuse and exploitation. So it's like, we have to kind of, yeah, see that abuse is not just these overt things. Some people say, Oh, well, I went through a lot with my mother. I was parentified, but I wasn't beaten up or anything, but Mm -hmm. you know, in our brains, the brain actually registers emotional abuse, emotional abuse, as equivalent to physical abuse. So the brain, the same area of the brain gets, gets lit up with, with either mm. one of those. Um, so science is telling us a lot in the about the brain now and, and mm. about trauma. So it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, parentification is one way that little girls can survive their mothers and survive neglect is to become the mother to our mothers. And the hope, you know, the childlike hope inside of that is if I just give mommy what she needs, then she'll be strong enough that she can be the mommy for me. Yep. And the problem is that the mom is often so wounded herself that there's no way a little girl could ever heal a mother. There's no way a child can heal an adult. You know, that's the the dream or the hope that gets a child through, you know, childhood. But as adults, we have to see that actually, that was a tragedy Mm -hmm. Uh, because what happens Mm -hmm. is we lose our childhood. We don't get to be children. I think it was, I was around 42 years old before I realized I never identified as a child. I always thought of myself as an adult. And I remember being at like cookouts or parties with my parents. And I would sit and talk with adults when I was eight years (laughs) old. I did the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. People were like, Oh, she, my my mother would just say, Oh, she's just eight going on 28. And there Mm -hmm. was just no, but I think, you know, people didn't have awareness that, when a child is that compli- compliant or that um, controlled, that that's actually a sign of trauma. That's a fear-based mm-hmm. um, mechanism. So yeah, so parentification is a powerful thing, and and I would love to even write a book just about that because I think there's so, there's just now starting to be more awareness of what parentification is and how it impacts us, and especially as women, it kind of hides because it looks like, oh, you're a good girl and that's what good girls should be. But no, girls need to be, you know, kids need to be kids, which is, you know, yeah, being inconvenient, making messes, Mm -hmm. you know, being silly, not being so well adapted. If you're so well adapted by eight years old and you're acting like an adult, that's actually a signal of something's wrong. So, um, but that can lead us to all these problems as adults, right? Where we start to realize, oh, we're parentifying ourselves still. We might be like, you know, having like, in my case, I also had, um, partners who I had to mother Mm. and friends. That's always fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So it was just like, I was on this kind of treadmill of trying to get mommy even as an adult. Yep. So it took a lot of finally grieving like, wow, yeah, there's a different way. And and this is being the engine for the suffering is actually what happened back then. Yeah. Yep. One thing I often say on the show is there's two deaths of our parents. We need to grieve their actual physical death and their, the ideal, 
of who mm-hmm. we wanted them to be. And when yeah. we can really grieve who we wanted them to be, we can start to unravel a lot of those patterns and, and stop looking for the mother in our friends in our romantic relationships. And the other thing is we start to mother ourselves like we were mothered, which doesn't lead to a great relationship between us and our own inner child. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many women end up kind of repeating patterns that they had with their mother inside themselves. So this mm-hmm. really impacts every aspect of our life from our mental, emotional, spiritual health, to our wealth, to our relationships, no pressure on the mothers out there, but this really is, <laughs> this really is a, a big deal. And, and I just want, let's talk to the mothers for a second. Yeah. It's not about being perfect as a mother, right? Right. Like it's not about like, what is the most important thing for a mother to do? to not pass on. I'm sure we're all going to have a mother wound mm-hmm. on some level, especially if we talk about the more global cultural, you know, societal wounds. Um, but what's the best thing a mother can do for her daughter and, or her son? Yeah, I would say the best thing you can do is to mother the child inside of you and develop a relationship with your little girl inside. I've seen this with the women that I work with. Like I'm thinking of one person in particular she had, was having, like, she came because she was having trouble mothering and it was like, she was feeling overwhelmed. Like she couldn't get it right. And there was all this tension and she started doing the inner mothering work and showing up for her inner child more and more. And then she noticed that there, you know, there was this byproduct where she was showing up for her kids being more emotionally spacious, meaning like more able to empathize with them feeling less pressure to be perfect, actually having more fun with her kids. Um, and, and also just more, yeah, able to really be emotionally present. And that could only happen because she had showed up for her own inner child, being more compassionate, um, being more reassuring to her own inner child that her inner child wasn't alone. See what happens is the child inside of the mother becomes into competition with the actual child. So you basically have two kids warring at each other at in competition, right? So the more that the mother can mother herself, mother that child inside or her, you know, her inner teen or whatever part is, is needing attention and love and support that just calms down and creates a kind of inner harmony in the mother's own system, self-system. And then mm. she can more attune with her child. The attunement with her child will no longer be seen as a threat to her safety. Right. So it really all starts with the mom and her relationship with her inner child. So I see inner mothering as, as the most important thing a mom can do. And just learning some, even some basic tools can be enormously helpful to kind of deescalate any tension you have with your own child. Because of course, every child is going to trigger her mom, right? You know, parenting is so triggering. It just shows us what's next to heal. Um, so having a kind of growing inner bond within yourself, it's like creating a, um, like an inner pantry where, where you can go and get all your needs met, like a really stocked inner pantry where you get plenty of love and support and affirmation for your inner kid. And then your inner kid is tucked in. She's safe. She's feeling tucked in and kind of well-fed, well-nourished. And then your adult self can show up much more calm and, and, you know, playful with your children. And then your children pick up on that kind of inner calm and they can relax more deeply into you as their mom and they can feel safer with you. So it really starts with this inner mothering work. And the reason I call it inner mothering and not inner parenting is because it really helps to emphasize that we're reworking that maternal bond that becomes so toxic in a patriarchal world. So yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that distinction is important. We, Mm -hmm. we teach about that in our inner child workshop that there's the inner mother and there's the inner father because they're, they're different energies. You know, we need different things from our mother and our father. You know, the mother is that more nurturing, um, fulfilling our needs, food, like that kind of thing. And, And the father prevent is that more provider sense of safety and security. And I think when we're doing inner child work, finding that inner mother and inner father and what those different things feel like is important, but especially for women, really finding that inner mother, because that's one of the ways we can let go of the attachment to wanting our mom to change. And I think unconsciously we work so hard, even as adults to get mom to be the mom we always wanted. Mm. And we end up 
you know, one, not mothering ourselves two passing on the, the generational patterns and trauma to our own children. So mothering ourselves and doing that work is, is so important. Mm. I want to talk about boundaries and guilt. So we'll, we'll start with boundaries. You talked about some of the more subtle ways that the mother wound can inflict us. You know, you mentioned there's abuse, there's abandonment, there's addictions. Those are kind of obvious, but what are some things that, because I really want people to connect dots here that are inappropriate for a mother daughter child relationship. Like what kind of things do mothers do that a lot of women think, well, I thought that's just what was normal that you've seen in your research and your experience. Like, "Mm, that's not okay. Like you mentioned being at the party and acting like a little adult. What else are some things that people can start to go, oh, wait, that, that wasn't so great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely some broad strokes of things that are not appropriate and it can depend on context, of course, but you know, I, I, let's keep it at the adult level now. So if, if you're an adult with your mother, I, I always ask people to pay attention to their bodies because our bodies are always registering things and, and giving us signals of what's okay and what feels okay and what doesn't feel okay. So for example, you know, some, I don't think, I don't want to make judgments on people because there's so many different factors, but, you know, talking to your mom multiple times a day on the phone every single day, you know, that's a sign of deep enmeshment. You know, um, if your mother has to talk to you multiple times a day, that's a sign. If someone told me that that was happening, I'd be like, okay, something's off there. If your mother is demanding money, you know, or, you know, just have a sense of entitlement. Like, um, I've heard from many women that like, there's this belief in their families, like, the parents are supposed to, you know, the kids are supposed to take care of the parents. And then when the par- when the kids grow up, then the parents depend on the, pe- the kids for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so any sense of like entitlement where you don't feel safe that you can say no, that's where you want to yeah. look at things, right? Yeah. Any place that there's this as- assumption, I call them unspoken contracts, where you feel like you actually can't say no to something because quote, that's the way it's always been, or that's the way we do it. I want to invite people to question that. Like, are there any places where, you know, you feel like you have to do something like obligation, but a part of you is just like, no, like you can feel your body say, like maybe you feel heavy or maybe you feel a sense of anxiety or trepidation and you don't want to do something, but you you know, that's what we do. And, and, and you know, that if you didn't do it, it would create a ruckus. That's probably exactly what you want to start to do. And, and part of the process is learning to listen to those signals of what our body is saying. I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel right to me. As kids, we could not say no. We were literally vulnerable, independent, and powerless. You know, we were kind of like prisoners, you know, for people that had traumatic childhoods. And I don't mean to make light of that, but it, it, it did feel like a prison. And so we couldn't say no. And so as adults, part of our healing process, if that was part of the picture for you, saying no in an empowered, clean way is so healing, right? Finding a way to respectfully communicate your boundaries. And a lot of this work is for adult children about setting boundaries and creating a kind of sense of like, this is my life. This, you know, I'm the authority, of what's right and best for me. Mm -hmm. My parents Mm -hmm. are not the authority of what's right and best for me. So becoming, having more of a felt sense of like what your body is telling you is right or not right. You listen to that. You act on that. You articulate that without shame. The things, the places that get funky and sticky are when parents are saying, Oh, well, you're hurting me by, by being true to yourself. And I need you to suppress your needs for me. See how it's like a power dynamic. Yep. So, yep. And, and usually our bodies will tell us with like, you know, I, anytime there's a power dynamic lately, I notice my, my solar plexus, I have like a little sensation that shows up and I'm like, Oh, something's yep. happening there. <laughs> so yeah. So I invite people to pay attention to what your body's telling you when you're interacting with your parents or anyone for that matter. And you will start to be like, Oh, get curious about what is that telling me about the dynamic that's happening and how can I show up as my most empowered self right now? right? What would be Mm. the most empowered response that I could bring to this situation? And for those of us who didn't have families, you know, 
just as a rule of thumb, like the more dysfunctional a family is, the less individuality is tolerated. So Mm, for those of us who come from families that were dysfunctional, we have to learn from scratch, like how to respectfully and honestly share our truth without shame and without guilt. And so it's a practice. It's something we have to kind of lean into and get support with because we Mm -hmm. didn't have any models for that. Right. Right. And we, the default that we might've learned from our families is when you're true to yourself, you're being a bad girl. And so we, we, we kind of, we tend to kind of like not do those things and, and go into people pleasing or compliance mode to stay safe and preserve the connection. You know, the new truth that we're moving into is that we can have boundaries and we can have compassion at the same time, right? Like we can yes. be in an, in our integrity and have, and, you know, clearly articulate our boundaries without making the other person wrong and without making ourselves wrong. But this is so different compared to, you know, kind of old school values that say the parents are always right. The kids are always wrong. The children yep. are indebted to their parents. And so they have to take all manner of abuse in the name of being a good child or a good daughter. So I want to invite you know, whoever's listening to start to yeah, question, like, what are some of the values that your family might have passed down to you around, you know, your own truth, like setting boundaries, speaking your truth, doing things differently. How much individuality was tolerated in your family? Where do you feel obligated and kind of stuck in certain family expectations or ways of behavior? Um, and because often the fear that we feel underneath all that is the inner child will say, not safe, don't do it. And so we have to kind of soothe, you know, the little girl inside or the teen inside that's like, you know, if we do what we really want, we're going to be unsafe. We're going to be abandoned. We're going to lose love. Yeah. yeah, we're going to lose love. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and you mentioned this. I just want to highlight this. This is one of the things I see over and over again with women um, is your, your, your mom knowing everything about your life, but especially you knowing everything about hers, her marriage, oh, her relationship yeah. with her friends. Like, and a lot of women think that's normal and they, they end up in this weird friend therapist dynamic with mom. And it's great if you feel safe enough, especially as a child to share everything with you want with your mom. But then I think it's important as we individuate to, it's more our peer groups and our friends and our, maybe our romantic partner. And definitely mom shouldn't be sharing everything about her life with you. Cause that puts the child, like I, I so uh-huh. many women have conversations at three, four, five, eight, thirteen 13, that are really for adults. Yeah. They're not for children. And so this brings me to another question about yes. boundaries. Let's say mom's going off about her marriage or, you know, something in her life that you really shouldn't be on the receiving end. And you want to set a boundary. You want to say, mom, this is not appropriate for me to, to hear. Mm-hmm. How do we, one of my favorite things about teaching boundaries is to tell people like, if you are waiting for someone to be okay and not upset by your boundaries, you're never going to set them because yes. most likely when you start setting boundaries with someone, particularly your mother, you're changing the rules of the game and it's not going to go over well, probably the first time or second or third or 35th, no matter how loving you are. So I would love Mm -hmm. some of your advice and wisdom on, you know, how we set those boundaries, but more importantly, how we deal with someone getting upset, someone, particularly mom, upset with the boundaries we're setting and really pushing on them. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, and I agree with you about that common theme that so many women have about mothers oversharing and over, you know, kind of dumping Mm -hmm. on their daughters. It's a very common thing. Um, and it's totally inappropriate. And every woman has the right to say, uh, mom, I don't feel comfortable with what you're sharing. Please don't share, um, you know, deep personal information with me anymore. You know, I'm not comfortable with that. So, and and then you can say, if you do continue to share this, I'm going to get off the phone. I'm going to have to hang up. Mm-hmm. So I, I encourage, these are the kind of the general things I'm encouraging around boundaries is to be brief, to call it out in the not moment. Not going to a whole explanation yeah. of this is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cause if you go into a long rationale, then it, it intimates that it's up for debate and it's not, yeah. your boundaries are not up for debate. So I would say be brief, be respectful and, you know, be specific. So, you know, point out exactly the behavior you'd want changed 
say it in a calm, you know, not defensive way. So sometimes it takes a while to prepare to set boundaries. So do a lot of fleshing it out, um, beforehand. So, you know, it takes practice and this is kind of the fun part, right? About boundaries is it's a journey of getting good at refining your skill at speaking your truth. And what an amazing gift this is to people in your life who may not like it in the beginning, but it truly is an amazing gift. So being respectful, clear, um, and brief is important. And then another piece I would add is to add consequences. So like I just said, if you continue to talk about this, I'm going to have to get off the phone. And then the next time, if you're talking on the phone and she goes into descriptions about, you know, her sex life or, you know, just for the sake of an example, something inappropriate, you can just say, Oh mom, I told you that I don't want to talk about this topic. I'm going to have to get off the phone and then Mm -hmm. get off the phone. So this is another piece is you have to follow through on your boundaries and actually take the action you know, follow through on the consequence that you said was going to happen if they didn't respect your boundary. Why is this important? It's important because many of our parents, you know, our adult parents, you know, they don't believe us at first. They think you're just, oh, she's just being uppity or she's just, you know, who does she think she is? Or like, she, you know, she doesn't mean that. You have to show that you mean business. And then once you do that, a couple things can happen. One is some mothers will push harder they'll just keep doing it and they won't care and they'll just shame you for having a boundary. Um, and those are the type of mothers that, you know, unfortunately women have to have less and less contact with because it becomes increasingly clear that the mother isn't willing or, or able to, to be in a respectful relationship with their daughter. Right. So Mm -hmm. that can happen. The other thing that can happen though, is a mother will get it. She might be like, push back a little bit first. But then when you follow through a few times, what happens is the mother has to grapple with, I, do I want a relationship with my daughter or not? And a lot of mothers will adapt. So in the beginning, there might be some pushback or some guiltifying or, you know, but then the mother will eventually be like, okay, I, I won't talk to you about that because she mm-hmm. wants the relationship with her daughter. And so that's how you can shape you know, you teach people how to treat you. That's an old saying, but it's true. It's true. And yeah. It's really <laughs> it's true. It's stuck around for so long because it's true. Yeah. So and it's empowering for women to do this because it's like, you deserve respect. We deserve respect, kindness, integrity in our relationships, even with the relationships with our mothers. And for, for a lot of us, we've been taught that we should have no boundaries with our parents. But I like to say that, you know, that relationship with our parents as adults has to be earned. We need to have standards in this relationship as much as we do in any other relationship. And when those feelings of I've upset her come back and our inner child gets activated because it's like, oh no, you know, because subconsciously, right? It's like, I'm losing love. I'm losing love. Even though our adult self knows, hey, this is healthy. The inner child can get really triggered when mom Mm -hmm. makes some comment or like, oh, aren't you being selfish or all I've done for you or goes into victim of like, you just don't love me anymore or whatever she may do. What's the best way to deal with our triggers when she's upset? Yeah. You know, the way I like to do this is is actually recommend we, we start even before the boundary is set with the inner child kind of tucking her in around this as early as possible so that through the whole process to make it as smooth as possible, you know, explaining to the inner child, like, you know, I'm here as your adult self, I'm going to take care of you. And part of that is I need to set boundaries with mom and mom might not like those boundaries, but you know what? It's okay. No matter what mom response responds with, I'm going to be here for you as your big B, you know, and you're going to be okay. And things are actually going to get better. But in the meantime, mom might be upset, but you're going to be fine no matter what. Right. And so that's important is to tuck the child in early on this whole process. So that by the time it's like building an inner reservoir of support so that when the triggers happen, you've got some, um, you know, you've got deep stock in there of love and support. So you've been tucked in enough so that it's not so destabilizing, um, when the mother pushes back, A key part, you know, a key point that, um, I have found really helpful in helping women to set boundaries with their mother is to remind their mother, I mean, to remind themselves and remind their inner child that the mother is an adult. Mm. The mother is not a child 
And, and this is like sometimes a mic drop moment for women because they realize I've been thinking of my mother as a child that I have to take care of. And so I've, you know, spent so much time, um, you know, it's a common refrain in my work to say, your mother is an adult. Her feelings are not your responsibility as an adult. She can get support from any number of sources that do not need to include you. So just reminding your inner child, your mom, you know, we're not abandoning or hurting mom right now, actually, even though she's saying that that's because she's in a, you know, a wounded or unwell place, but that's not our responsibility. We actually can't help mom. Even if we try to be a waste of energy, mom needs to get her own help. And in a way we're helping mom by setting clear boundaries so that she can be motivated to get the help she needs from a place that really can help her. But that can never be us. That can never be us, you know? Everybody pause right there, write that script down, (laughs) make a voice memo for yourself and remind yourself of these things because it's so important. And and, and honestly, I feel like if we were to say there was a way to to quote unquote help our mom, it is holding these boundaries and breaking the dynamic because it may be the thing that invites her, triggers her to do her own work is not being able to hook into the daughter for emotional needs for whatever, you know, she may be hooked in for. And when we break that tie, we break those unhealthy ties. Often it is the invitation. Often it is the wake up. We can't go at it with that intention, but I've seen it happen. I've definitely Mm -hmm. seen it happen. When we claim our own lives, we inspire, there's a small possibility that we can inspire our mothers to claim her own lives, but we cannot save one another especially through like harming ourselves to, you know, be like, I remember with my mother, it was like, I felt like she fed, she like a vampire. It was like this energy of a vampiric. It is kind of a vampiric energy. Codependency can be like that. So when we set a boundary, we say, I am the source of my own well-being. You can't feed on me. I will not allow that. Then that actually your mom has to find her own source, her own, you know, the own source of her well-being, And that is such an opportunity for her to look in the right places for it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So guilt, this comes up a lot when I work with women mm. is I want them to, you know, talk about their mother, start to deal with that, actually get at their anger at their mother. Mm-hmm. And all this guilt comes up. She did so much for me. She's a good person. She had a really hard life. She was in a really awful marriage. It wasn't that bad. And the guilt gets in the way, like the guilt and obligation gets in the way of actually getting towards our anger. Because in, in my experience, and this may not be true for everybody, but this is one of the reasons I teach a rage, an anger burn at my women's retreat. I do like a four-hour grief Mm. anger burn process for women because talking about our problems is very different from actually feeling. And and I think it's so important for women to Mm. tap into their rage. This is also one of the ways we dismantle the dysfunctional patriarchy and actually bring more harmonies. Women have to find their rage because otherwise it leaks out in other ways, irritability, totally um, passive aggressiveness, disease, being small, shrinking, all those, Mm. all those kinds of things. Turned against the self. Exactly. Exactly. Then a critic comes up, we become ruthless Mm -hmm. with ourselves. So I do think, and and again, this is my experience in healing the mother wound, we have to get at our anger at our mother. Like we have to be honest with ourselves about what we're pissed off about. But I have found, and I'm curious if you found this, that often it's so hard for women, especially if they didn't have big T trauma, abuse, you know, abandonment, those kinds of things to get at their rage because there's so much guilt and obligation comes up. Is that something you've seen in your research and how do we get beyond the guilt and obligation and actually get to some of those core emotions we may feel, but maybe scared to feel? Yeah, I would agree with you, Christine. It's, it's one of the biggest obstacles that I see women facing as well is getting in touch with feeling a healthy outrage on behalf of the child that they were. When Mm -hmm. you can get there, that is the, I would say maybe one of the biggest turning points because then the anger stops being directed at the self and starts being pointed towards its true target. And that is the injustices we experienced as children. But we have to have enough education on the, the part around what is healthy and what is not. When we come out, when we're coming at this work sometimes new and newish, it's like, 
we don't know what's toxic and what isn't. But then we, when we get clear on, oh, that really wasn't okay, you know, what happened to me, then we can start to move in that direction of like, oh man, I was just a little girl and I was very vulnerable and I was being, you know, taken advantage of and really harmed even unknowingly, but very deeply harmed by what was happening. And then you can start to get you know, closer to that rage where it's like, that was not okay. What happened. And when we can do that, we start to become allies. We start to become fiercely protective of ourselves in the ways that the adults that were supposed to protect us could not, or would not. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a powerful place. It's almost like in my mind, I see it like as little girls, we come out of childhood into young adulthood turned against ourselves right? We almost internalize the perpetrator of our parents, especially our mothers, which is always in the female realm towards ourselves because society teaches us we're the enemy. We're bad. We're sinful. You know, our needs and desires are dirty and bad. So we're, we automatically come out of childhood with that. So we, we shame ourselves. We perpetuate that awful violence inside ourselves in the form of shame. You know, it's mostly shame, shame, shame all these narratives that say I'm bad, I'm not good enough. There's something Mm. wrong with me. So we start to learn though, through other women, like you and I, who are are teaching this work on how to turn this around, we can turn that arrow that's faced towards ourselves or that sword that's faced towards ourselves. We start to turn it around to where it really came from, which was those moments in our past and the parents and and the environment that we grew up in that did this violence to ourselves, that turned us into these beings that self-abandon, self-betray. So we have to go back to what was the original abandonment? What was the original betrayal? And then we can point, you know, our anger at that. We can say that was the issue. It's not me. You know, I'm just, I was just an innocent child, literally innocent, trying to survive. The problem yep. was in the environment and the adults in the environment, you know, and whatever they were going through. So we have to feel that justified rage on behalf of that innocent child inside of us. And then the guilt kind of falls away, honestly. So the guilt is like really early. It's like on the outer outskirts of it. Mm-hmm. And the guilt is a symptom of that self-perpetration that we learn, which basically says as a woman, female, you are bad. You are not good enough. You, you do not have a voice. You are to be silent. That is when you are good. And so Mm -hmm. of course we feel guilt about the most normal, basic human things. Like I want to leave right now. I don't want to stay, even though everyone is staying at this party, or, um, I don't want to be this person's friend, like normal, basic human feelings. We feel bad. We feel like I'm a terrible person. So I like to say that guilt is really an artifact of patriarchy. So we have to feel the guilt and do it anyway, just like fear. You know, there's a saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. I say, feel the guilt and do it anyway. What we discover, (laughs) if you do this enough, if you give yourself enough spaciousness to actually kind of do things that even though they make you feel guilty, um, you discover that guilt has no power. It's just an idea. It's an old antiquated idea that women about women and what we should and should not do or, or be able to do. So we, you know, I like to say we have to be rebels to heal. We have to anoint the parts of ourselves that patriarchy has said are bad and we have to do those things and practice, you know, practice it. And so we have to buck the crowd. We have to be willing if we really want to heal and we really want to be, you know, go beyond what I call the maternal horizon of what our mothers have said is possible or what society says is possible. We have to be willing to walk our own path. And a lot of this is being willing to buck the crowd and really advocate and be the, the, I like to call it, you know, like the tender and fierce mother to ourselves that says, you know, your needs are good and healthy and lovable mm-hmm. and you can do what you want, even with other you know, other people are going to be okay. They're not your concern. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as I think yeah. more and more women do this, we're going to start to see it. Um, I'm hoping like a groundswell and kind of a quickening where we all start to model this more easily. Right. And it, it just creates like a catches fire. It is. I think it already is. And you've been a big fire starter through, through <laughs> all this, which I appreciate. And, you know, one thing that came up for me with the guilt as well, in addition to what you said is, I think it also is hooked into something we've talked about of not wanting to sever that tie. And so the guilt is often this protective thing from the fear of, well, if I really point the arrow potentially at mom, 
then I might sever the tie. And that little girl is still scared in there of like, but we don't want to lose mommy. So it's like, we can't get mad. We can't be really honest. But one thing that you talk about in your book and in your teachings is that this isn't about blaming mom. Mm -mm. This isn't about pointing the arrow at her for the rest of your life and being like, you're the reason why (laughs) I don't have what I want. Right? So as we wrap up here, do you mind just expanding on that, that it's important to get our anger and our truth out? It's not about calling her up and telling her all the ways that she messed us up. Um, It's important to get it out in healthy therapeutic ways, but we don't want to carry around blaming the mother because that just creates a whole other set of issues. Right. Exactly. So if we just keep blaming the mother, then we actually just stay like children. So Mm. it's, it's not about that at all. It's, it's like blame is a temporary place that we must be brave enough to visit in order to truly heal. It's like, you know, like any trauma that happens, we have to feel the feelings that weren't safe to feel when you were a child, right? They're not forever. Like, it's like as children, we, we are afraid of feelings because feelings are very powerful and they seem like they have the power to kill us or, you know, completely Mm. submerge us. But the truth is that feelings are very ephemeral. All feelings are temporary, but we have to be willing to open to them in order to experience the healing that happens as they run their course. Many of us did not have parents that could model that feelings are just, you know, temporary experiences. They can't harm you. So yeah, blame is a temporary place. Like the blame does lie with the mother in the context of our childhood, but we're not children anymore. So, you know, that's an important distinction. So we're, we're, we're putting it in the context of the past in order to experience the feelings that were based in the past so that we can actually move out of the past and into you know, the truth of the present, which is our freedom that we don't, we're not blaming our mothers, but we are putting into proper perspective who was responsible in that situation. And it wasn't us as children. So it's like rediscovering the innocence that we were innocent children. And as we heal, we see that our parents are actually innocent as well. Mm. No one is really to blame. Ultimately, it's really trauma is what, you know, runs through families. And that's the tragedy, right? But we can use our trauma as adults. We can take responsibility. And part of that is to see, you know, who was to blame in that context. But then after that, we start to have compassion, right? For ourselves, for our families, for all human beings, um, who have experienced trauma to some degree, right? And we can use that trauma to heal and grow. And that's really what we what we're, we're talking about here is not about getting lost in the past or getting mired in that, but seeing the ways that the past lives inside of us right now, right? Yep. It's like we have to temporarily feel these feelings and then we can actually have claim ownership of our lives and really live in the present where all kinds of, you know, intelligence and wisdom and ideas and innovation, all the wonderful things that we want to experience as human beings is in the present moment. But when we haven't healed the mother wound, we're still actually living a lot of our lives with this overlay of the past kind of covering our eyes and distorting the ways that we see our, our present life. So it's a real gift to humanity when, when we, in our families and our communities, when we have enough support and tools to actually do this deep inner work, take care Mm. of our portion of our pain that we was passed down to us. And then we can actually birth all kinds of new possibilities, which I'm really excited about getting towards, you know, and like, there's so much that's possible for us as humanity. Um, once we get through, you know, really taking ownership of what, you know, what was passed down. Yep. Absolutely. I know for me, I've only gotten to true forgiveness, when I've gone through my anger and my sadness and my blame and my grief and (laughs) all of those feelings. And then it's like, oh, I can actually not just spiritual bypass and say, they did the best they could and hurt people, hurt people and all those things. I can actually really forgive because I don't think we can truly forgive until we've gotten what we need inside. Like you can't really forgive your mother until you find your inner mother. Yes. And it takes going through this, this work and being really honest and being willing to get at all those hard emotions and set some boundaries and have it be rocky for a bit, especially if your mother's still alive and you still have a relationship with her. But, you know, I'd rather have some rough spots and be scared and set my boundaries than one, pass on the trauma or two, be on my deathbed or my mom be on her deathbed and have tons of resentment. 
Right. I'd rather get to that place of forgiveness, but forgiveness isn't, you know, we can't just go buy a crystal and be like, I forgive. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. I like to say that forgiveness in order for it to be true and real, it has to be the byproduct of an authentic transformation, which is just what you just Mm -hmm. said. We have to be willing to feel all these uncomfortable feelings, but they, as I mentioned, they all pass at the end of it, whenever that is, because we can't predict, we, we arrive at a place where we realize that, you know, our mothers are actually on their own journey, which has dignity and validity, even though it might not be on the same level or path that we're on, our mothers are on their own separate journeys of, you know, life. And that deserves respect as well. And we can only get there, you know, in an authentic way, if we've traversed all the path, you know, all of that stuff to get there. But once we get there, it's so worth it. And, and you are worth it. Like, I'm just talking to people who are listening. You are worth all the time and energy it takes to heal and to do this inner work and to reach this place of, of liberation and joy. That is your birthright. Mm. Mm. Well, I knew that I wouldn't get too far with my notes with you in an hour. I only got to page 17 of your book with my underlines and my questions. Um, and I know my audience, they want more. They're going, how, how, Kale, this makes no sense. How, how do I do this? Well, the good news is Bethany has so many resources. You can go to her website You can get the book, Discovering the Inner Mother. She has an online course, which I'll link in the show notes. And you also have some free stuff coming up. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I do a a free course um, twice a year. And I have one coming up this fall. It's going to be in November, um, early November of 2021. And it's going to be all about shame and working with shame. Um, it's going to be called safe, sacred, and secure. So I'm going to be teaching a lot about inner mothering and how to go right to the heart of what a lot of us struggle with, which is shame and and reimagine shame as actually the place of our liberation, not a place that we hide from, but a place that we can embrace within ourselves. So I'm so excited to teach that it's going to be a three-part masterclass and it's going to come with a workbook and it's going to be all free. Um, and you can check this all out on my website, um, bethanywebster.com. We're going to announce it at the end of October. So keep your eyes out. If you're on the newsletter, you'll get, um, you know, it'll be announced there and you can sign up in that way. And then there's a ton of blog articles and other resources on my website. If you want to check it out, download a free ebook, um, a lot to explore there. Mm. Last question for you. What's different about your life since working on and healing your mother wound? Uh, it's so much more fun <laughs> and I would say playful and simple. Life is very simple for me and there's so much joy in the simplicity and uh, life is more magical and mm-hmm. full of wonder. Mm-hmm. It's amazing when we connect to that inner child and are the inner mother, how that reconnection to that little girl, it brings so much joy and magic into our life. And I think more clarity on our purpose as well, really what we're, well, I mean, I don't define purpose in terms of our career. I find it, you know, it's more about evolution of our consciousness and really living into our fullest expression. But for me, being in touch with that little girl inside and knowing that she has an inner mother that she can really rely on has brought me so much clarity too about what feels most aligned. So Thank you so much for sharing all of this for, again, you know, I know you had to do a lot of your inner work to be able to write this book and to be able to be a teacher in this, in this topic. So really acknowledge you for that because I'm sure at times it was not easy. (laughs) And I just really, really, really have gratitude for that. And everybody go to bethanywebster.com. You're also on Instagram. We'll link everything up in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Christine. I've enjoyed every second of our conversation. I appreciate the opportunity to connect. Thanks for having me.